Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast that explores love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak. And I'm Sophie Alexandra. And this is our anti-racism series. <laughs> off to, is that off to a good start or no? I mean, <laughs> like, I'm happy that we're doing the work, but you sounded a little too thrilled. Too excited. <laughs> I know. That was like Tokyo energy. To be totally honest, I am excited that... A lot more people are doing the work at this moment than I think I've ever seen in my entire lifetime. So I am actually excited about it. I got to be real. I agree with you. Uh, This is a really incredible moment in history that I think we should be proud to be a part of and we can't Mm -hmm. stop the work. I think um, that we have a responsibility to learn and to keep learning and we'd like to give our platform over a little bit right now and have people learn and also you're gonna hear two white women fucking bumbling their way through trying to be better and i hope that truly you can see you know the egg on our faces because i don't think that this should be easy or comfortable It's fine to look like an idiot if you're fucking trying and starting. You can only become anti-racist when you do the work. That's what actively dismantling white supremacy looks like. So today we are super excited to have our first guest in this series. Her name is Kristen Bennett. She is a badass audio producer and she co-hosts her own podcast that is called Your Fave is Problematic. And we thought she was the perfect person to help us kick off this series. So here we go. So, Sophia, I don't even know if you know this, but Kristen and I met through Full Spectrum, which is a week-long thing that we did for podcasting, like, what was that, like a year and a half ago? Yeah, it was December 2018, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But it was great. It was, like, kind of the week that inspired me to make this, like, a real career. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, we were almost roommates. Yeah. So... (laughs) (laughs) But we came out friends, so that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kristen, you lucked out because she just randomly gets naked at like any (laughs) any moment. So I'll just turn her out and I'm always like, oh, I didn't know there was a full moon out right now. Okay. It's 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 ten thirty AM, but (laughs) I appreciate you. So you lucked out. (laughs) Yeah, Sophia's had to be my roommate on multiple international trips and she knows the deal. So, you, Kristen, you're the perfect person to have this conversation that we're going to have today with. You are the co-host of Your Fave is Problematic, yeah, uh, a podcast where you kind of dissect 
pop culture and what the fuck is wrong with it. (laughs) (laughs) And I got to be honest, white people on your show are mostly problematic and in real life. So it really tracks. (laughs) You might say life imitates art and art imitates life. Yeah, you might say that. (laughs) Yeah, I I co-host a podcast called Your Fate is Problematic. We're currently um, on hiatus because I literally just had surgery like not even two weeks ago. So we're like taking a little break. Um, But yeah, we our kind of tagline is we like to say uh, we ruin your favorite things. So it's just kind of more about taking a critical kind of funny eye to the pop culture that we have loved. There's a lot of nostalgia involved, you know, a lot of like going back and watching John Hughes films and being like, what the fuck was that? But we talk about politics, too. and We talk about celebrities and just, you know, we try not to like be terribly harsh unless you really, really deserve it. It's more about, you know, has this person done something problematic in the past and have they grown at all? Is there any evidence that like they are somewhat redeemable (laughs) or like that they're trying? Are Uh, they working on it? Yeah. 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 There's some that we probably should revisit. (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah. We're going to revisit one today. If we're going to talk about Dave Chappelle, who is on your list. Yeah, he is. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I feel like you guys aren't too soapboxy about it. And you're kind of like, I mean, we try to be really nuanced in our conversations about sex and relationships. And I feel like you guys do that same thing Mm -hmm. on your show. Yeah, I mean, I think our kind of our perspective is it doesn't really get us anywhere to just be like that person is a total garbage can, unless they are a total garbage can, you know, like there's some people who just are. But most people aren't. Most people are just like still learning you know, and most people like grew up in this fucked up society like the rest of us. And we, like, we all have a lot of shit to unlearn and unpack. And so, again, most of the time it is like, all right, how do they fuck up and are they trying to do better? And and we just kind of take it from there. But like it doesn't help anyone to just be like, well, you're forever in this shitty box, you know? Yes. Yeah. And uh, it also I feel like then lets people off the hook because then they just like fail to engage when there's new discourse on a person that's like, hey, you should probably know about this thing about them that you didn't know. And if their reaction wasn't, oh, I'm going to ha- say anything to just make sure my career is OK. If the reaction was, oh, I made a mistake. I'm going to learn and I'm going to do that publicly so other people who like me can learn through me. I feel like if that was what our celebrity culture became instead of what we're doing now, then there could be some redeeming qualities that we would be encouraging in people. Yeah, no, I I definitely hear what you're saying. You know, obviously, sometimes there's a lot of pushback on that idea because like, particularly with white men, straight white men, there's like, well, you know, how many, how many more fucking chances can we give straight white dudes, right? You know, like, not everybody needs to be redeemable. We try to um, use those discussions as an opportunity to help people interrogate their own biases, you know, or like to interrogate their family members' biases, like people that you love, people that you admire. It's okay to hold them accountable. It's okay to still love them and be like, no, that's a fucked up thing that you did. And this is how you need to fix it. So yeah, I feel like to kick it off, because we've all been in the pandemic, so starved for any sort of content or media, the main thing that's come out about this is Dave Chappelle's um, 846. So I thought we could talk about that. Yeah, I watched it this past weekend. Um, You know, like, obviously, there was a pretty universally positive reaction to it, which I get, you know, I think that, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of of two minds about it just because uh, there's so, there's a big part of me that wants to still really love Dave Chappelle. 
I feel like every time I see him speak, there's this part of me that's like, please do better. Just like, come on, man, you can fucking do it this time. You really can be a better person. Um, I don't really take a lot of issue with him, with a lot of what he said in that, other than I think, you know, there's a pretty glaring omission of the fact that he didn't address the killing of one single black woman or black trans person, uh, which shouldn't be entirely surprising if you have listened to Dave Chappelle's stand-up in the last 10 years. But I think the other part of it, too, is... You know, you see a lot of people in the media and certainly on my my own social media timelines just talking about how like Dave Chappelle is saying this kind of like extraordinary revolutionary stuff. And it's like black women and black activists have been saying this shit for years. Like he's not saying anything new. And like it, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing that he is speaking up about this or that it's a bad thing that he has used his platform to spread this message to people who maybe wouldn't have heard it before. But like I, nothing that he said in that special is anything new to me or to most black people. <laughs> and certainly not to most black activists. I just, I don't know. I wish that there was kind of more of like a recognition of that generally in the public that like Dave Chappelle is not saying anything new. I totally hear what you're saying. And I also uh, feel like whenever, you know, we talk about somebody doing something positive, we're like, they're the greatest. The king is back. And I'm yeah. like, the king hates trans people. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, yeah. You know, and it's and it's weird because I don't want to discount the art and the comedy that he's made because a lot of it has been groundbreaking and incredible. But how do we talk about him without saying, hey, also his views on trans people are really regressive and are painful in black trans women are getting murdered at the highest rates out of anybody. And that's nothing that even got 10 seconds in that special. Right, exactly. You know, I think that obviously you're walking a bit of a tightrope, I think, when you are a non-black person critiquing uh, Mm -hmm. black media. Uh, Yep. But I mean, like, I think those feelings are valid, obviously. And certainly lots of black people in media are saying the same thing. I mean, I read a really great piece by Damon Young, um, who is an excellent writer, uh, the website Very Smart Brothers, which is also, I think, like a subset of The Root. He wrote an excellent piece about 846 that essentially says the, the same thing, right? It would be really wonderful to be able to embrace this, but like it is glaring when you watch this, particularly knowing Dave Chappelle's history, that he excludes black women being targeted and he excludes black trans people. And he like, you know, the two people that he decided to call out and they definitely deserved it. But, you know, we're women. But there are plenty of men who were saying shitty things about this too, right? It's not just Laura Ingram and... Candace uh, Owens. Candace Owens, yeah. <laughs> you know, so... In um, her stanky pussy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, who fucking... I, mean, I don't give a fuck about Candace Owens' pussy. Like, that's not the point. The problem is what she says. Right, right. You know, right. but, like, again, that's, like, another kind of, like, you know, a like, gender like misogyny. Yeah. Right. Totally. You know, uh, and it's like, well, we didn't need to say, even say anything about her pussy. Who fucking cares, right? Like, what is she saying about people? I don't know. So, like, I I definitely understand that, like, you know, you have to tread lightly, obviously, if you're a non-black person talking about these things. I think probably the best course of action is to find black writers who are talking about this and share that, you know, Mm -hmm. amplify that. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think that's a really great point and a great lesson when people are asking themselves, like, white people that are freaking out, well, what can I do? You know, that's a great thing to do. Uh, I personally was like, it's not my place to tweet about uh, Dave Chappelle and his opinion on this whatsoever. He's also just one person. And this whole point of all of this right now is to listen fucking more. Yeah. Well, the thing is, Dave Chappelle used to make statements about race, like that were more groundbreaking and that did say something new. I mean, something came on after I have watched it, uh, 
846 a couple times and something came on right after that YouTube just fed me that was him from like 20 years ago legit (laughs) saying some interesting shit about race and so like he is somebody that people would have looked to you know if this would have happened 15 years ago maybe and it might have been a different sort of conversation that he was able to bring to the table. But I mean, that like trilogy of Netflix specials that he did a year and a half or two years ago or whatever. I mean, that was that's when I even realized how transphobic Dave Dave's material was. I think that's anyway. what a lot of people realize. It certainly is when I did, you know, like, you know, obviously you hear like rumors about people and and I've never seen Dave Chappelle live. So I, you know, I didn't know until I watched the special just like everyone else. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that like for me, if you want to talk about Dave Chappelle's transphobia, that's one thing. But like, I think that again, you have to tread lightly when you were kind of criticizing mm-hmm. his race analysis. Um you know, particularly if you're a non-black person, because like a lot of that is it just comes from him being, I don't know, probably close to 50, like almost half a century of living in this country as a black mm-hmm. man, which just that alone is traumatizing. It just is, you know, um, so like he has a perspective and it and he's certainly allowed to put it out there. Um, I think that just from my perspective as a black woman, like when I want to hear race analysis, I'm not going necessarily to Dave Chappelle. I want to hear from people who like who's you know, care for black lives encompasses everybody, not just black men, (laughs) you know, and not just cis black men and not just straight black men. Who are some of your favorite people that are speaking about this right now? Oh man. I feel like my entire Twitter feed is just me following like black writers and activists. Gosh. Brie Newsom is always a good follow on Twitter. I feel like her, her points are really concise. She's always speaking truth to power. She has a really great analysis of um, how race and capitalism intertwine, right? Mm. Like how they are in- interdependent. Um, so Brie Newsom is a great follow. Um, can you drop your handle so people can follow you and follow a lot of the people that you retweet? And I mean, if people want to follow me, that's fine. Like I am not an academic, you know, like there are plenty of people who are better educated and better versed <laughs> in this stuff than I am. All I have is my experience, right? And like the articles that are out there for me to read. But my handle is at Annie Wokely. You're probably just going to get mostly retweets <laughs> and my angry responses to like David Brooks columns or some shit, you know, that's mostly what my Twitter <laughs> feed is. <laughs> I mean, I guess I just want to acknowledge that like, uh, it is already a weird thing for us as two like white women. I mean, you can say Jews are white or non-white. It's debatable, whatever. Um, but when two white women invite um, a black person on their podcast and are like, teach us, we want to make sure that we are acknowledging that there is uh, <laughs> that there's problems even with this to be like, please come on and talk to us. And obviously we're here to listen to your Uh, art as much as your experience but we also want to acknowledge that we're not here to be like teach us and you're the voice and as much as we don't want to make Dave Chappelle the voice because yeah yeah now listen I understand that and it's something that like I have been super um cautious about um you know because like I'm not I'm gonna tell you there are lots of people who are getting these like lots of black people that I know who are getting these asks and their email boxes Right. But I think the distinction to be made is like, can you come on and like educate us about race and tell us what to think and read or whatever, as opposed to like, you know, like this is a medium I work in. I'm a podcaster and I talk about race a lot. Um, So, you know, and, you know, uh, essentially we're talking about problematic figures and art and uh, 
sex and dating. And so like that is that is a different arena from just being like, hey, black person we know, come on and and help us understand this. I mean, like I talk about it, you know, on podcasts. So to me, this is an appropriate ask. Um, but certainly there are people out there who are being asked to do things outside of their wheelhouse or like to, you know, to to stand in for professionals who are experts on this or people who literally have careers where it is their job to like hey pay me and come in and i will lead your diversity initiative or or diversity training at your job that you know but like i think that's where the issue comes in is when you're asking people like me to do stuff like that like no especially if you're not gonna pay me mm-hmm. right like <laughs> that's not what i do go talk to people who do that mm-hmm. yeah it's so interesting because i just re-watched uh michael che's special from 2016 mm-hmm like two weeks ago. And I remembered seeing it in 2016 when it first came out. And it's about all this shit. There's a huge amount of stuff about Black Lives Matter and police brutality. And I remember watching it the first time and being like, holy shit. And then there's, it didn't feel like there was any, like, what am I going to do with that information? And now it feels like that's happening to everyone at the same time. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Where yeah. like there's actual outlets where we can be like, okay, so we can defund the police. That's like a real thing that could happen. I, I mean, I want to talk about this moment of reckoning. What is your perspective on this? And like, how does it feel? And I'm sure there's mixed feelings with like seeing people wake up like in real time. Yeah, uh, I think for a lot of people, there there are mixed feelings involved here. Like on one hand, you like want to be really glad that people are finally kind of starting to like pay attention for longer than a news cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the other hand, you're kind of like, where the fuck have we all been? Like, you know, like you said, yeah. when you watched that 846 special with Dave Chappelle and then like it played you, I'm assuming a clip from Killing Him Softly, I think, which came out when I was in high school. So at least 20 years ago. You know, and he's telling the same jokes about how, like, police are, you know, planting evidence on people and white people are reading the cover of Time magazine and going, hey, honey, did you hear, like, the police are beating up Negroes like hotcakes? Like, that's a 22-year-old joke. And so, like, there is, I think, a level of frustration when you hear, you know, white folks kind of be like, wow, what's happening now? I mean, like, this has been perpetual for the last 400 years. Like, this has always been what this country is. Um, But, you know, I think... I can I can understand how people are frustrated to the fact where they don't want to have these conversations anymore, you know, like they don't want to educate people and they they just don't have the patience. I get it. I've been there. I'm not always there, but I have been there. Um, but I do think that like this is such a critical moment. This moment feels so different from any other moment. Um, even like big historical moments. Like I was listening to a podcast with um Tanasi Coates and Ezra Klein, and Tanasi Coates was talking about how he and his dad were discussing 1968 and the, you know, and the kind of like civil unrest and the racial riots happening then. And his dad was like, this is bigger than 1968. This is a movement. Like we have more people on our side. We have like more white support. Like this is important. And so it feels like we don't want to waste that opportunity by just throwing a ton of shade. But I also get why people want to throw a ton of shade. I get it. You know, it's frustrating to kind of feel like, where the fuck have you been? We've been saying this forever. Yeah. I'm sorry. (laughs) We have not been there. And uh, yeah, I think collectively we're trying to do better. Who are some of your personal problematic favorites? (laughs) Oh, man. I think probably my biggest one is Tina Fey. I love Tina Fey. 30 Rock is my all-time favorite sitcom. But Tina's got some 
yes. glaring blind spots when it comes to race. And it is so difficult for me. So like, as far as the comedian goes, I feel like she might be my number one. I, I adore Tina Fey. So I, I work on Bullseye, like on NPR, mm-hmm. and we interviewed Tina Fey and Robert Carlock couple weeks ago and i was like geeking like full-on holy shit (laughs) we get to talk to tina fey i was actually pretty pissed that we weren't in the office because that meant i probably wouldn't get to meet her so i think she might be at the top of my list i don't know it's a weird thing to think about just because like the experience of being a black person in this country means that most white people you like are going to to be your problematic face problematic you know <laughs> right like at some point at some point the white people you love in your life are going to disappoint you and you kind of have to just farce that you have to like work through it oh Damn, that's real <laughs> i was looking back at some emails from full spectrum and i saw that one of the things that you recommended when we were in that uh, workshop was the episode of the nod drake of the diaspora yes and even Drake kind of walks like a problematic line, but you wrote in that when you were recommending it that you think about it all the time. And I actually just recently listened to that. Can you speak a little bit to your obsession with that and yeah. where you where you land? Because they did pros and cons of like, is Drake good or bad for black people and then they voted at the end Boy, listen, <laughs> so what's your final vote drake is one of those people that like deserves a revisit because we also did an episode of our podcast on drake and i feel like uh drake has added some problematic shit to his file in the time since then underage girls maybe yeah <laughs> yeah maybe like stop texting 13 year olds but whatever but in, in regards to that episode you know to me what the most interesting question in there is whether or not black people can appropriate African culture in particular. And it's something that like is really, I don't know that I've come on, come down on either side on that. You know, it's something that's really complicated. Um, you think about black Americans and the reason why we don't have a connection to any sp- particular African culture is because we, all of that was stripped. We don't, we have, we don't know. We don't know where it come from. Right. Africa's huge. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. We just know that you're to just like, know that you are from somewhere on this giant continent is not a culture. And so, you know, there's this like yearning to want to have a connection to a culture. And so you kind of like just grasp on to anything West African. Um, but it's, it's not your culture. We have black Americans have a specifically different culture. And unfortunately it is one that is, based on our history as enslaved people. Um, but it is vibrant and full and wonderful. Um, but so, yeah, it can be like, you don't want to like, I don't know. I feel like I don't want to like poo-poo people for like being like, hey, I'm going to wear this kente cloth and I'm going to like appropriate these African beats into my music because like on one level, it's completely human desire to want to to figure out where you're from and to like embrace that. On the other hand, like it is not my culture. You know, like, I don't know anything about Nigeria or Ghana or, or the Ivory Coast. I don't. I've never been. No one of my family's ever been, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, I don't know if Drake is good for black people or not. I think Drake is good for Drake and music executives. <laughs> and uh, Drake uh, is good for, like, I don't know. He's like, good for capitalism. <laughs> yeah, he's good for, like, a bop in the club, I guess, sometimes. <laughs> but that's, I don't know. I don't really care about Drake. <laughs> Flowers are blooming, the grass is growing, 
And it's time to mow your lawn, privates. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can trim those hedges below the belt safely and efficiently. That's right, Manscaped is here to make sure your balls are smooth and smelling nice. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. They have precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped is cutting edge. They have the Perfect Package 3.0 kit. They've got their Lawnmower 3.0 that is waterproof and cordless. They have Crop Reviver. They have anti-ball chafing deodorant and moisturizer. Whatever you need to spruce up your balls, Manscaped has got you covered. Subscribe to the perfect package and get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. And for a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, what? and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. I love all the testosterone this company is bringing to the table. This is the perfect package for your perfect package, and we've got a great deal for you, privates. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRIVATE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PRIVATE. It's summer, baby, and your balls and whoever touches them will thank you. Okay, cop shows, you guys. I feel like cop shows are kind of like Tina Fey playing Sarah Palin, where you're like, oh, you're humanizing something problematic, and especially in this moment. Thoughts? You know, I, <laughs> I've always been a big fan of SVU, which I think is a different... I know, me too. Same. My cats are named Benson and Stabler, and I'm getting really? lunch this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I know so many women who love SVU. And I think a big part of that is just because it's nice to have someone give a shit about a rape victim. You know? (laughs) Oh, my God. Dark, but true. No, it's true. It's fiction. When else are you going to have detectives that actually care about you? Care that much. Just in my experience, the number of people that I know who have been sexually assaulted, who I've personally gone with them to get rape kits or gone with them to a police station to report a rape and nothing has ever happened so like that's just my reality i'm sure i'm not alone so watching Mm -hmm. something like svu i think is really it feels good it's kind of cathartic because you finally get to see like some asshole get what he deserves (laughs) it's a beautiful fairy tale where justice really gets served (laughs) for women yeah Uh. but is it dangerous to be like oh cops are always good well hell yes (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't dangerous is the wrong word. I feel like we don't realize how much copaganda we have been swallowing um, for so long. And like, I'm not going to begrudge people for like liking their cop shows. For me, like the issue is with the people who keep producing them. I I watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine every fucking week and I love it. But those aren't the cops that I have encountered. And they're probably not the cops that you've encountered either. You know, Um, I also feel like most cop shows center around detectives, which is a little bit of a different dynamic from like your typical beat cop. Totally. The guy who like... Mm -hmm pulls you over for speeding or whatever but still i you know there's obviously like the kind of lionization or hero worship that that factors into most of those shows that um probably just generally hasn't been good for most americans perception of what actual police work is i think it's honestly a thing that seems benign and is actually incredibly problematic i mean they're almost never dirty unless it's in a Denzel movie or Sean Penn or something, you know, but like most cops in the depictions are like clean. I think the thing that sometimes can be like both 
good and bad is that I also like think Brooklyn Nine-Nine is great and funny, but the whole basis is that they're like goofy and like not really good at their jobs. And you're like, wait a minute. Cops aren't good at their jobs <laughs> <laughs> and it's not goofy. So like that's the only time where I get a little bit. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. But then I'm like, wait, no, this is supposed to be like fairy tale cops, just like the SVU cops, you know? Yeah. It's like adorable when they are not inept <laughs> or whatever, you know? Yes. And I was thinking of like one of the first things that I saw when I moved here uh, in 1994 on TV, like speaking really no English. The first things were the Andy Griffith show where he's like the most sweetest cop in the world and just like <laughs> takes care of the drunk man of the town. Yeah. I don't know. It's wild. And then at night it would be cops <laughs> where you really saw cops. Yeah. And I was like, what is this country? <laughs> what is happening? Yeah. 1994 was mad confusing. You guys. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the biggest issue, right? Is that like most cop shows don't actually show reality. You know, that's not how cops operate. Yeah, I just feel like not everyone is even having the discussion with themselves about like, oh, is that what's happening in reality versus if you're just like living your life with your privilege and the cop encounters that you have are like not great, but not terrible. You know, you can just keep living in this world where cops are good guys and why would we defund the police it doesn't even make sense and it's like no actually you need to do a little bit more research well I think that I mean like listen that totally makes sense right like I think about even my own upbringing I'm actually so this is a point that the writer and lawyer Josie Duffy Rice and she's another great follow on Twitter um Uh, brought up and she talks about how basically for all intents and purposes most white people and even people like me you know I grew up in the suburbs you know there were no cops around we're already living in a state where the police have been abolished right we are experiencing police abolition think about it like how often do you see cops in your neighborhood you know are there cops patrolling your streets um like how often do you have to call the cops in the situations that you call them, could somebody else come who was unarmed to like solve mm-hmm. that situation? You know, the only time that I really ever see cops, and even in my current neighborhood, I live in Pasadena. I live in a, re- in a really nice neighborhood. I live with, you know, around grad students and shit. The only time I ever see cops is like if I'm driving on the highway, if I'm entering a government building. <laughs> so they're not in my face. I don't have to interact with them every single day. They're not like looking for shit happening in my neighborhood. Um, that's what police abolition is. That's what we're talking about. And most of us mm-hmm. already live in that state. So I think, of course, people who have experienced and lived in that privilege, when you say something about like defunding the cops or abolishing the cops, they're going to be like, well, what if something serious happens? Who am I going to call in the event of an emergency? Question number one, always. I've had this conversation (laughs) several times recently. But what happens then? Yeah, I mean, also, the other thing to to understand about the cops, too, is that like in a lot of those situations, the cop is showing up after the fact. Like if your house is getting burgled or if you are being assaulted, the cops are showing up later to do paperwork (laughs) and maybe collect some evidence. They're not necessarily protecting. When I was growing up in USSR, basically you would dial... Zero one, zero two, zero three, or zero four, and they're like for cops, for firemen, for emergency. So you wouldn't be calling one number, and they'll figure it out. It's like no, if it's a fire, you call the fire department. 
it just seems kind of natural yeah and i'm look russia's fucked up a lot of stuff i'm not trying to be like oh we know what we're doing (laughs) um things are not good over there i will admit i'll be the first person but to me it always struck me as weird when i moved here that it's just all one number and i think that's the approach to taking care of the community is it goes through policing which isn't what care and uh community building and taking care of a community is police is like an extreme cases when it's a safety issue that can only be ameliorated with someone else uh like making uh someone's weaponized presence less weaponized and you normally don't do that with more weapons yeah, in the Medium article, I don't know if you guys saw it, but there was this viral Medium article written by a former cop who is basically yeah. like, this is everything that's wrong with, you know, the police. And he made that point. I can't remember if it was 80 or 90%. I think it was 90% of the calls that he said he made. There was nothing he could do. It was, like Kristen said, after the fact what they really needed was a social worker or somebody with like a little bedside manner or legal help or de-escalation expert, um, um, a psychologist who knows how to deal with a mentally ill person that's acting out. Like the fact that so many homeless and uh, mentally ill people get murdered all the time because cops get called when they shouldn't have been is also really high. I I mean, mean, the thing that I keep thinking about is, so I've maybe called the cops like, I don't know, maybe two or three times ever in my life. Um, and so I've been asking people this question to just kind of, you know, just to get a read. In the instances where you've had to call the cops or if you've ever called the cops, when they showed up, were they actually any help? I'm very rarely. I used to be an apartment manager. And so I did have to call the cops occasionally. And when I really needed them to do something, they could never do anything. I mean, yeah, the fire department. Fine. They did OK. But police, not helpful. The neighbors used to call the cops on me and my mom all the time because we would fight and they were like vicious, horrible, like DV type incidents they needed to report. And I wanted to be like, actually, what's really happening is that like uh, uh, we have mental illness in the family and also we're immigrants and it's really stressful to try to live here. And like things are bad. But thanks for calling the cops on us repeatedly who not only do nothing, but also add to the shame and, you know, oh, you're the family that the cops get called on. There's literally nothing helpful about them coming over in situations of disturbances like that. Exactly. (laughs) I would say when I was doing the apartment manager thing, what I needed was a homeless advocate when like we had homeless people living on the premises that, you know, needed somewhere else to go. That would have been helpful or drug counselor who could like actually help with the people that were leaving heroin needles <laughs> in the basement, you know, but I don't need a person with a gun to come over and just be like, yeah, that shouldn't be happening. Yeah, right. <laughs> like To like never file paperwork and help you not at all. That's the thing. I keep asking people this question and I haven't gotten, I don't think I've gotten a single response where people are like, oh yeah, that cop really helped. Like. No, it's never helpful. Unless, you know, I don't want to like say the cops are useless, but they kind of are for like 99% of the fucking times you call them. Like they don't, they do nothing. They do, and they certainly don't help anything. So like, what is the problem with at the very least defunding, if not abolishing police? Exactly. Hey, Courtney, you want to know what my favorite thing in the world is? It rhymes with tube. Um, Boob. 
damn it. Okay, that's it. Do you want to know what my <laughs> second favorite thing that rhymes with tube is? I'm going to go with Uber Lube. Yes, you got it. I love Uber Lube. It's the key to maximizing pleasure. I love it when I'm masturbating alone. I love it when I'm having sex with my man. Look, if you're going to lubricate, you want to make sure it's with the highest quality ingredients that are safe for your body. And in that respect, nothing beats Uber Lube. Girl, you do not have to sell me an Uber Lube, but I love that you care about me enough to give me such a solid recommendation because Uber Lube is the best. It's got a nice velvety finish and it's great for all kinds of play, vaginal, oral, or anal. You know what? Why not all three? And because Uber Lube has such a simple ingredient list, it makes it really good for people with sensitivities to other lubricants, which me and you have had conversations about. Plus, Uber Lube lets skin feel skin. Like, lube is just supposed to enhance touch. It's not supposed to overpower it. Uber Lube adds a thin layer that leads to just the right amount of slip, while still allowing for, you know, those skin-on-skin -skin sensations. You guys, we could go on and on and on all day about Uber Lube, but the bottom line is, you gotta try it for yourself. And right now, they're offering Private Parts Unknown listeners a special offer. 10% off and free shipping when you use our code PRIVATE at uberlube.com. That's 10% off and free shipping. Just use code PRIVATE at uberlube.com. You know, what people don't really under, I don't think what people really realize is just like how insidious this stuff is and how it is everywhere and how it has affected every aspect of our history. And like the amount of unlearning that I had to do, right? And I am a black woman raised by two black parents with a black family, you know what I mean? Like, and certainly like I have no incentive to be a racist, but I had internalized all of that shit just like everyone mm -hmm. else. And a lot of other black people have too. And certainly white people have. And so even if you think you have the best of intentions or you grew up in this progressive city and you have these liberal politics, like you still have a ton of work to do. We all do. And we really, we had no other option but to learn this shit. We were born into it. This is literally in the DNA of this fucking country. And when you like discover shit that like, you know, we could have had universal health care in the 1940s. Literally, it was ready to pass both houses of Congress. The president was ready to sign the bill. And the reason that we don't have it is because fucking Southern hospitals did not want to be forced to integrate. And Southern politicians and the American Medical Association literally fought this bill. And that is why we don't have universal health care in this country. We could have had it for like 70 fucking years. That is so fucked up. Right. That is so fucked up. And there's so many instances of shit like this where it's like when you really start to look and educate yourself, you see the reason that we really have not achieved our stated ideals in this country is because of racism. It is literally in everything. And we're not going to fix it until we actually start to be honest about this shit and educate ourselves. But, you know, uh, the state has an incentive not to educate us on these things. That's the thing. I think we got to start reading. And if for some reason you're a white person, you're like, this sounds heavy. Where do I start? Start in something you're interested in. Like, for example, you can find out that photography has a basis in racism because of the way that developing was only really developed to make white skin develop on film and no one gave a shit about black people. There's things like that that, you know, if you don't ever dive into the things that you care about, you won't ever find this problematic stuff. And like, I know so little, 
so little that every day I'm like, holy shit. Me too. I mean, we're like, again, like this is something that has been deliberately not explained to us. And you have to be proactive about learning it. You have to. Yeah, I've ordered a bunch of books recently and we'll post on our social media a bunch of book recs that we've collected from different black artists have posted their lists and we'll post those. But have you listened to 1619 from the New York Times? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. If you're like, maybe even not a reader and you're looking for like a podcast the New York Times did a five episode series and they delve into I mean literally one of the stories is about a black farmer who you can just tell it's like in his bones it's been in his family forever and he got discriminated against for these farming loans and every year they would come later and later and I was listening to it getting so pissed because it was the biggest crock of shit and he was the only person the way that they laid it out you could just see how you know it's so obvious why there used to be the same amount of black farmers as there was representation in the population and now that is totally dwindled it is in every literally every element of our life it's so crazy and I think another good way to like as white people we can keep learning is now whenever I uh something's happening to me well not just now but I feel like a good exercise to do is when something's happening in your life consider how it would go for you if you weren't white like right now I'm trying to figure out how to have a baby or whatever you know, the maternal death rates for black women and uh, and for black infants mm-hmm. in this country, way higher. Look into that. Sit with that. Yeah. What's up with that? Yeah. That's fucked up. You know, whenever you're thinking about, oh, I'm getting a house loan, just really quickly, just look up what it's like to get a house loan if you are not white. And then just sit with that information for a little bit. Because I think so much of what we do every day is just going through life being white. We're like, well, this works normally. What's the problem? Yeah, you bring up a really good point, Sophia. And I've heard it explained in a way that I think is really, really succinct and, and helpful for people to kind of you know frame that as we have all of this information about like disparities in this country and racial disparities and how black people have less wealth and, you know, less education and so on and so forth. And so you can go, well, there's, there's two reasons for this, right? It's either because black people as a race just aren't as capable um, uh, or it's because there's a fucking system in their way. Like we never paid reparations. Like maybe we should think about that. We should do that in some way. Right. Like it's either because you believe that black people are less than right. And that they just are unable to do this or there is something standing in our way. And so if Mm -hmm. you believe that the answer is not that black people are less than, but that there is a system, that is the first step into like doing the research to find out what the fuck that might be. Because, you know, there's only two answers to this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Choose the option that makes you be able to look at yourself in the mirror. (laughs) And like as white people, part of it is we cannot be like, I'm tired of this. It's been two weeks. I've been thinking about race for two weeks. I'm really tired. This shit is tough, but I also don't care. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. Yeah, you're right. It's rough and it's exhausting. And and there's a lot of shit that is really depressing about it and traumatizing for sure. And I understand why people feel that way because that's not to be glib, but like fucking welcome. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to bring up reparations, uh, you know, we can always petition the government and keep working on that. But also, there's no reason that you yourself 
can't set your own individual reparations and find some shit to give your money to on a regular basis as part of your regular life that it's not just I threw $20 to BLM this month and like I get to feel like a guilt-free white person for you know ever now (laughs) yeah that's actually it's funny I remember having this conversation with my dad several years ago and he was you know like basically his argument against reparations was that if we got cut a check then people would just like stop giving a shit about the other stuff you know like well they're gonna use that as an excuse like we gave you a check you guys should figure this shit out by now which like i get you know it doesn't mean he was anti-reparations it's kind of like just knowing the way this country operates right they cut you a check right. and they go well we did our part we can wash our hands of you now and that's it and we don't have to fix anything good luck with your casinos yeah. bye yeah yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> The U.S. government never gives you anything. Yeah. I know I just did air quotes, which is not work on a podcast. I was like, everyone saw. Um, So we wanted to ask everybody in this series three questions. Number one, what is your favorite work of art by a black artist? You know, I was thinking about this question since I saw it last night. It's that's a tough one. There's such a massive world of black art. And I, I don't know, man. You can do, it doesn't have to be, what are a couple favorites? You just mean like just, you don't mean like visual art, right? Just any art form? It can be anything, movie, book, something people might want to explore. I guess it's, think of it as a recommendation. Okay, so (laughs) I'm going to step on my soapbox here for a minute about what I think is one of the best least acknowledged black sitcoms and it is living single living single is so fucking good Ah, i was just talking about this on my other podcast (laughs) it is so good living single is so good and i think about the injustice of this show i think about how literally literally friends ripped it off like actually that is verifiable (laughs) The executives at NBC saw Living Single and literally were asked in in an interview, like, hey, if there's any show on television right now that you could have, what would it be? And they said Living Single. And then Friends came out the next year. But anyway. Oh, shit. Living Single is on Hulu. Stream it. I guarantee. It's so fucking good. It is young Queen Latifah, who was hilarious. Like, she's like 23 at the beginning of the show and fucking hilarious. Um, Well, everyone on the show is great. It's great ensemble cast. Max and Kyle is literally all I care about yes. sexually. Yes, That absolutely. is like my sexual orientation yes. is jerking off to that when I was a teenager being like, this is so wrong and so right. Yes. Why do I want this for them more than they do? Like, this is weird. But I remember being so invested. Eric Alexander is a national treasure. I do not understand why she never became a star. But she is one of the most like comedically brilliant people I've ever seen on television. That's my pick for a black art that I, I love. I, I, I could watch it forever. I love Living Single. Except for that last season. The last season was terrible. While we're in black sitcom land, I want to say Girlfriends. Also, honorable mention. Yes. So underrated. I love that show. I did too. And guys, doesn't it always shock you that Kelsey Grammer was the executive producer? I know. Kelsey Grammer produced quite a few black shows on UPN at that time. He also produced The Game. I feel like I'm leaving out a couple. It's very odd. (laughs) I just don't get him as a person. He's totally conservative Republican. I'm like, guy, do you not know that you're not or something? I, I, I don't get it. It's wild. Okay. Question number two. 
What impact has race had on your experiences in dating and relationships? And is this a bad question? But I want to know. I mean, this is a sex and dating podcast. <laughs> this is a bad I don't think it's a bad question. As a matter of fact, I think people don't talk about race enough in relationships. Honestly, I think that there are a not insignificant percentage of interracial relationships where they should be talking more about race. In particular, I'm talking to black people. In particular, I'm talking to black men. You need to be talking to your partners <laughs> about race uh, and helping them understand, particularly if you plan on being with them long term and having children, like you need to be talking to your partners about race. Um, so I've actually had a couple of long term uh, interracial relationships. I'm currently in one. My boyfriend is white. We've been together for over three years. We talk a lot about race. It's like every day and it's not like a forced thing. I mean, it just comes up because I'm a black woman and and he lives with me and and this is just my existence. Um so as far as like, as far as the role that race plays, what's the question? The role race plays in my relationships? What impact has it had? What impact has it had? We were thinking like, it could run the gamut from like what you've experienced on dating sites, the way you get approached, all the way to what it's like to be in an interracial relationship and what kind of stuff comes up. Uh, I haven't spent a ton of time on dating sites, but I will say in my limited experience, uh, if there are any white people listening, please don't refer to people of color as foods. <laughs> I just, I got so tired oh, no. of like chocolate this and it, cocoa that and Nubian blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't. <laughs> oh, God. I don't. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and it happens, oh, y'all. It's so it, cringy. It really does happen. And you're just like, what the fuck, man? You know, like it was an immediate block for me. I don't want to hear that shit. Nobody wants to feel like you're interested in me because you're looking for that notch on your bedpost, right? Like mm -hmm. you're trying to collect them all and you need your black girl Pokemon or whatever, <laughs> you know. No one wants to be a fetish, dude. Right. And so like if the first thing that you're saying to me is addressing my blackness and not like any of the other shit that I put in my dating profile, like trying to actually get to know me. So that's definitely, that's the thing I have experienced and is a bad idea. <laughs> um, you know, what's interesting, I think, is, um, like I said, I've had a couple of interracial relationships that have been long-term. Uh, I'm from Texas, and uh, two of those relationships were in Texas. I'm going to tread lightly here. How do I put this? I feel like my experience with my partner's extended family was more positive in a place like Texas than in California. Uh, Interesting. And I think that kind of goes to the root of uh, a little bit of blindness that is here in California in regards to like California's own racial history and, and <laughs> history of racism and people's perception of like, you know, how rampant that stuff is here. Um, my, and this is just my experience. I cannot speak for other black people. My experience in Texas was that people were not, a, you know, like there's certainly a lot of racism, but like no one was shocked to see me, right? Like they weren't surprised that a black person was in the room. That is not my experience mm -hmm. in California. Like I literally have walked into job interviews where people were like, are you sure you're in the right place? You're Kristen? Like, yes, I know my name is Kristen Bennett, but like I am, oh, God. I am here to interview for this show. in Los Angeles. In media? 
in, in no not necessarily in media but uh and okay. and but still yeah yeah um holy fuck. yeah like who gives a shit what the field is no <laughs> i know but i was gonna say oh my god is this happening in my industry but <laughs> I will, it probably is yeah no it's yeah, it's absolutely it happening in your industry it just hasn't happened to me in this industry yet you know um but fuck. and i think that like to me the reception that i have had um from white partners families in california has been frankly more overtly racist and i think it's because it feels i don't know it feels like white people in california just don't have as much experience like interacting with black people on a daily basis as you i mean like you have to interact with black people in the south we're everywhere right like you go to fucking alabama is 40 percent black even if you hate Mm -hmm. black people there's no way you can avoid us right (laughs) like so you're not surprised when a black person walks down your street that's not the case here you know like people can segregate and and stay in their pretty white enclaves if they want to you know like i've gotten comments to my face from my partner's family members and you know and like shit that people do not think they probably don't even think is all that problematic but like i don't know to me it just kind of like it showed the difference between between southern racism and and between red state racism and blue state racism we'll say you know it's very much kind of like in the red states, every white person has got a black person that they know and love and they care about. And they're Mm -hmm. like, sure, they can live next door to me and I'm happy to have them in my family. They just don't ever want you to get like too advanced. Right. Like to be my boss, then it's a fucking problem. Uh, In the blue states, (laughs) in the blue states, it's like, Hey, you guys can, you know, you can be my boss and that's fine. And you can rise to whatever level you want to, but like, I don't want you in my neighborhood. Right. Don't date my daughter. Oh fuck. Mm. That's so interesting. Both are both are problematic in different ways. What do you mean? I think one's awesome. (laughs) Are you guys not pulling for one now? Uh, Let me tell you, I'm not a fan of either. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I guess I'm alone. Whatever. (laughs) No, but like, I guess I don't know to kind of like give you to give you like a more serious answer. Uh, If you're in an interracial relationship, you should be talking about race more than you are. I promise you. it's going to come up in everything and you just have to be honest. Right. And like the other thing is like, if you're a person of color in a relationship with a white person and they are not an active anti-racist, what the fuck are you doing there? <laughs> yeah. Bye. Yeah, yeah. Like you don't have to put up with that shit. You don't have to make excuses. You don't have to teach them shit, man. You are priority number one and you need to ask yourself why you were still Dick is abundant. Okay. You don't have to stay in that relationship. Also, I'd like to say uh, in, if you're dating a white man, you have a great opportunity to really put him in his place. <laughs> if he's wiling out at this time, like even in my own relationship, sometimes my boyfriend will say something that he doesn't even think of as problematic or whatever. And I am using this opportunity to be like, actually, that is, this is why. And, you know. I need you to see this correctly or like this is a a huge sticking point for me. So yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying everyone, regardless of the racial dynamic in your relationship should be having this conversation at home. I think right now, yes, especially and beyond your home. I know it's hard, but talk to family members, right? Like, Mm Hmm. I had a really fun conversation after my grandpa died and we all went home to like, (laughs) kind of like be with the family outside. My family brought up George Floyd and then, 
my husband went ham on them when they started (laughs) trying to bring up anything and then we had each other's back and it was so great and and my grandpa would have been so happy we literally made them say the words uh it doesn't matter at all what happens to you before you get murdered by police being murdered by police yes is just a problem on its own can we agree and they were like yes we can agree we should not be murdering anybody I was like, this is, sounds basic, but what happened is we saw graffiti when we were driving and it said, George Floyd might not have been a perfect man, but he was a man. And I was like, what? And then they were like, well, he wasn't perfect. And I was like, oh, that's not where I thought this was going to go. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So just take the time. Yeah. I was getting a facial last weekend and it came up with my facialist and I didn't know this bitch was conservative and she had a razor on my face <laughs> and we start, were talking about defunding the police and I was trying to challenge her arguments realizing where I had weak spots it was a whole intense thing but I do not regret it <laughs> I love it she had a razor on my face good for you Courtney <laughs> she, she literally did I was like I don't know if this is a good idea right now but we're gonna do this <laughs> I was like my grandpa is dead he's the only person I cared about anyway I was like let's blow this whole thing up <laughs> I was like if I lose you over this I would be happy too let me know <laughs> um Okay, final question of our final three questions. What is one thing you want people to know about how to be a better ally? You have to listen a lot more than you respond. You know, I think that a lot of my experience trying to talk to my white friends about this, particularly growing up and in my early adulthood, was, you know, saying something and then kind of being met with a lot of people trying to explain it away. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. well, maybe they didn't mean that, or maybe you didn't see this or maybe you didn't see that. And it's kind of like, it, it makes, it makes it that much more exhausting to like, to ever speak up. I mean, like it literally discourages you from ever saying anything because people that you supposedly trust, people who supposedly care for you, um, you know, are, are gaslighting you essentially. And even if they like have good intentions, whatever that means, um, they're still doing it. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. like my response was usually if I got upset enough was like, hey, how, like, you know, don't you think that I went through all of those scenarios in my head before I ever said this out loud, right? Like, don't you think that I tried to explain it away? You know, also I have an entire history, like a, a whole life's worth of experience dealing with this stuff, right? Like I know what it looks like. And just because you don't know what it looks like doesn't mean that's not what's happening. And the reason maybe mm-hmm. that you are so eager or willing to explain it away is because you don't have that experience and that's fine. But like, shut the fuck up and listen to what I'm saying. I have it. I'm telling you, this is what life is like, you know, this is what we experience. And I think that people still kind of default to that. I see a lot of people who are fighting that instinct, um, which good for them. Um, but really it's as simple as, as having enough respect for the person who's talking to you to believe them when they say something and to not automatically try to refute it or explain it away or justify it or any other bullshit, right? Like this is a part of a larger system and this is just one tiny example of what all of us deal with on a daily basis. Um, So listen and believe and educate yourself, get involved, you know, like don't just listen to this podcast and go, I agree, (laughs) do something. 
Yes. That is the perfect way to end. Thank you so much. And yeah, we'll have to have you back on to really unpack some more media depictions in the future. (laughs) I'd love to be back (laughs) on. That sounds like fun. Oh my God, I love talking to Kristen. That was awesome. One thing we didn't even get to is we were getting drunk at one of the after events in New York and we were both talking about our grandpas who are both from Texas were cowboys. And I didn't realize until that conversation, the majority of cowboys were black and Mexican. I know. I didn't know until then because of all the media depictions I just assumed a lot of cowboys were white. So crazy. Anyway, obviously, as Kristen said, your learning extends beyond this podcast. So we are bringing you conversations that hopefully you can use as a jumping off point to do some of your own work or have awkward conversations in your own life. Because we got to grow is the only way to grow. Got to get uncomfortable. Exactly. Hey, Sophia, what's that bomb ass music? I'm so glad you asked. This music is by our delightful friend, Amy Roche. You can find her music on Spotify, R-A-A-S-C-H. This episode was mixed by Mike Castaneda from Plastic Audio. We, we love you, Mike. That was See, good. We, this is we, the worst one ever. No, we owed him a good, like, not weird one because it's been a while. If you think that you don't prefer our death metal version, you're crazy. (laughs) We love you, Mike. You Mike, Mike, Mike. And now it's time for... A review of the week. Okay, so this week we have Unique and Sexy, five stars. Ooh, this is by Ektrez87. As someone who is polyamorous and spends a large part of the year traveling, it's been inspiring and entertaining to hear stories and observations from people much braver than I when it comes to sex. Even if I've traveled to the same place as Courtney and Sophia, they managed to have a unique experience and share perspectives that hadn't even occurred to me. Now I need to go back to those places again. That's such a good review. I love that. Thanks so much. If I had to review that review, five stars five stars and fuck you guys we miss traveling so much oh my god we're doing this series we're gonna continue to do the work we're gonna bring you some covid stories and then your girls are gonna put on some face masks and go back out on the road okay so don't worry we're still gonna travel for you we love you we miss you and we'll see you next week bye Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.